A wise man builds his life on Jesus' instructions, like a house built on a solid foundation. By tuning in today, you are pouring into your life. This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. one hand, in my mind, ice skating makes no sense. Ice is dangerous to begin with. You don't want to drive on it. You don't want to walk on it. And then you're intentionally going to pay money to go balance on two razor blades and work your way on the ice, surrounded by other people who can't do the same thing either. Yeah, so this is what amazes me when you watch Olympic ice skaters. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they can glide. They can spin, and they 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 don't get dizzy, and then they keep skating on the ice. I mean, that blows my mind. I mean, I grew up in an age where we didn't have a lot of toys, and we didn't have a lot of activities apart from, hey, let's see how dizzy we can get, right? I mean, you remember that? Like, hey, let's spin around as much as we possibly can, and let's see who can stand up the longest. Or let's, let's run somewhere and not, you know, kill each other. Dizzy bat. Let's spin around and around it on the poles in the basement. That was, that was fun. And then you'd spin and then you'd be like, oh, crash. Yeah, so here's these ice skaters, these Olympic ice skaters on ice, spinning, 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 spinning. How do they not fall down? How are they able to then go on with the rest of their routine? Well, if you watch them, they have a trick. They, 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 they have an anchor point. That when their body goes around, they whip their head around and they focus on that exact same anchor point again and again and again and again. No matter how much they spin, they keep coming back to that anchor point. It's what keeps them from getting dizzy. It's what keeps them from falling over. We seem to be in a time and an age where everything is spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And some of us maybe feel quite dizzy. Maybe some of us are, are trying to fake the fact that they have not fallen down. And so I think that's why it's ever so important, especially now, to grab a hold of an anchor point. Something that no matter how much the world spins, how much my world spins, I'm going to keep my focus on that. That's what Advent is. If you didn't grow up in a church tradition that practiced the, the church calendar, Advent is the beginning of the calendar. It, it, it welcomes in with the birth of Jesus. This is where we start. No matter how much everything is spinning, we're going to set aside sacred time. We're going to give ourselves an anchor point so that we don't have to lose our bearing. And so we have wreaths and we set up calendars and candles. Last year, Christmas was fun. Christmas was enjoyable last year. I think this year Christmas is about survival. You know, to be perfectly honest. I, how many of you have the decorating done? Your decorating at home done. Essence, put your hand on, I hate you. 
Some of you, but don't. I just, is, it, is, it, is it done? Is it done? <laughs> Ours is done. We started getting it out. We started getting it. And I started working through The boys were someplace else. Uh, Elise was off resting. And I started working through it. And I found myself caught in this emotional space of how important it was for me to pull out the decorations and to set up the nativity set. Like as, as crazy as everything is right now, and it's crazy. It seemed like over the last three or four days, every two hours, every three hours, I was getting another phone call. Hey, pastor, so-and-so just tested positive. Hey, pastor, so-and-so's family number is in the hospital. Hey, pastor. And I'm like, it's spinning, it's spinning, it's spinning, it's spinning. And so to say, okay, uh, here we are. This, this isn't going to move. I can fix my attention on this. So in Advent, we are going to prepare our hearts for Christ. The world has December 25th, okay? That's the, the, and, and, and truth be told, December 25th, about 30 minutes, the beginning of December 25th is Christmas, right? Kids up, and then all right, let's just kind of stare at each other for the next 23 and a half hours. But no, 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 what we do historically here at House on the Rock is we take a whole month to prepare ourselves for Christ. To think of words like hope and joy and peace and love. Now, no matter how much everything is spinning, here's an anchor for us. So I want you to join us. Thank you for joining us. Um, a word of information for you starting next Sunday. We will be doing live broadcasts, live streams of our 1045 gathering. So if you know people that have to keep their distance or want to keep their distance but still want to connect, um, it's not going to be just me, the talking head for the last, like it's been for the last three months. They'll actually be able to watch the whole service. We're going to live stream that uh, on our website. And so you'll see more and more information about that coming up. We will still have our church gatherings at 9 o'clock and 1045. But starting next Sunday, people will be able to live stream the entirety of the service. Okay, it won't be a, a pre-recorded. It will be the whole thing, okay? Um, but that'll start. If you have your notes, take out your notes. Um, we're going to jump into Advent together. As the Christmas decorations have gone up, the banners and the cards, uh, the TV ads, kids have started using uh, a specific word. I hope this happens this Christmas. I hope they cancel school forever. Um, I hope I get this gift. I hope this happens. Hope, 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 hope. An anticipated happiness in the future, which truth be told is so distant from what biblical hope really is. Let me read a passage for you. This is in Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verses 17 through 22. It goes like this. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. 
Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. In the beginning of the first verse I read, it said that the war horse is a false hope. Apparently there's things that aren't worth hoping in. Even at, from the outside, a war horse, the epitome of military conquest back then. Think of a tank or a plane or a nuclear weapon. You could retranslate that however you want to. Military might is not something to hope in. All these things that people are hoping in to bring about their salvation and their security, he says, that's, it might look like it, that's not worth hoping in. There's not a secular hope. Rather, the Lord watches over those who walk in obedience and look to his love. So those who fear him, those who are obedient and faithful before the Lord, his, he watches over those people. He will deliver them in the future. We can trust who the Lord is because, because of what the Lord has done in the past. So here, maybe we can understand hope this way. Take out your notes. Uh, hope, I think, is a story in three scenes. Maybe this will help you think about hope this season. Hope is a story in three scenes. It's God's faithfulness in the past, our humble obedience in the present, experiencing God's goodness in the future. Let me say that again, okay? Hope is a story with three scenes. It's God's faithfulness in the past. Maybe you want to write that down somewhere. Our humble obedience in the present, experiencing God's goodness in the future. Scene one, what has God done? Scene two, how I live obediently in response to that, looking to the future where God's present goodness will be experienced. Past, present, and future. Hope in three scenes. If you take any part of that away, it's not biblical hope. It's not real hope. And what I want us to see this season that hope is a here word. Hope is here. Hope is now. Hope isn't off some other place. I can experience hope now. The disappointment that you experienced this week. How many of you experienced disappointment this week? Heartache this week. Suffering and trial this week, okay? You're like, and no, you know, you're looking place else to the future that hopefully things will work out. Biblical hope says you can have hope now. I can walk in hope now. Okay? As I remember God's faithfulness in the past, as I live obediently in the present, I look to God's goodness in the future. Why hope now? Why not hope? My wife asked me that this morning. She says, you're talking about hope? says, yeah, I'm talking about hope. She's like, this whole year has been about hope, hasn't it? I said, I think so. I think so. Or at least learning to unpack that and find that. We're, we're dealing with a global pandemic. Uh, COVID has everyone asking new questions. Uh, what do we do? Is there going to be a vaccine? Is it going to work? Should I get the vaccine? Thousands of years ago, prophets were writing about another global pandemic of evil. It 
It might have been in this empire. It might have been in that military force, force. But they were constantly bringing God's people back to an intention of hope. And what God's people learned was that God had a vaccine for what was ailing the world. They just had to wait for it to come. God had a plan. God had a purpose. It was on the way. So it was their responsibility to live obediently in the present, waiting for God to bring this vaccine of hope in the future. The prophet Isaiah described it this way. This is Isaiah 9, 2. These are some verses that we like to read at the Advent season. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So God's people were taught hope is here, God is going to be good. The pandemic of evil will be stopped. Be obedient. So for hundreds of years, the prophets kept bringing them back to this promise. God will be good. God will be good. So where do we start? One of the challenges as a communicator, when it comes to Christmas time, is like, all right, how do you do Christmas like you haven't? I mean, like, how do you redress it? How do you respin it? You know, what angle do we take? You know, so we can see it with fresh eyes. So, if, have you put up a nativity set already? Anyone pull out the nativity set? Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got a favorite favorite figurine? Hey, does your does the head on your Joseph fall off every year? Really? Because it seems like destiny in our house. Joseph always gets something broken. He's missing a hand. He's missing a staff. He lost his head again this year. And so he's more super glue than he is anything else. I mean, the poor guy. I mean, he's not even the biblical story that much. And apparently this is God's, I don't know. I know. But some people are like Joseph. I get a kick out of Joseph. There's the wise men who are traveling from afar. Make sure your wise men are far away because they're not at the manger. Got the shepherds. What about Mary? What if this Christmas we focused in on Mary? What if we took our cue from Mary, specifically a song that Mary sings? Now here's the challenge. In the Western church, some of us think some of us don't make enough about Mary. Some of us think some of us make too much about Mary. Right? Right? A suggestion. Let's take our tradition. Everyone put it in your hand. Hold it, hold, hold it, hold it. Come on, Gab. Put up your hands. There you go. Everyone, this is your tradition. This is everything that you were programmed to think in the glasses that you were forced. Okay, well, take your tradition, put it over here. Okay? It's safe. You are free to pick it up when you leave. I, 
Your tradition is awesome, okay? Now, we set our tradition aside. Let's just see what the Bible has to say. Let's, shall we do that? And I think some of us are going to be very, very surprised and how much hope Mary brings along with her. Truth be told, Mary is the picture of global Christianity right now. The average, if you were to take the sole entirety of the Christian faith, all of us, the millions and millions of us, the average Christian is a poor young mother living in a hovel somewhere. Maybe someplace like Nigeria, someplace like Brazil, okay? She's not a skinny-jeaned millennial, okay, who wears a ski cap 12 months of the year. She's not a pleated pants old white guy preacher. The face of global Christianity is Mary. So let's get her context in our head. Okay, uh, if you've been with us through the Revelation series, through Apocalypse, that's where, we, where we're still in that time frame. We're still working with Rome. Rome is this virus that has worked its way through the entire known world. Mary is dealing with constant oppression everywhere she turns. Leadership is corrupt. Herod the king has more in common with Rome than with leading his people from a godly leadership. She lives in a small town. She's about 13, 14 years old. She's trying to figure out how to be faithful. She wants to know how to be faithful, holding on to the promise. God's faithfulness in the past, being faithful in the beginning, looking to God's goodness in the future. Okay? So I want to share some of her story with you. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 1 today. I'm going to start reading in verse 26. Luke 1, 26. Let's let Mary steer us into hope this Advent. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Not really a city. Nazareth, maybe a couple hundred people. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. To the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Maybe you could hear some of the echoes of what Isaiah talked about in the Old Testament. Uh, just a, a couple points of reference. You have this term betrothed. What's betrothed mean? Okay? Betrothed does not mean engaged. Okay? Betrothed means married. They're just not living together. They haven't consummated the marriage. They are all, in all intents and purposes, married, okay? If you look at Joseph and you walk through the town, yeah, he's married to Mary. They're betrothed. They're not living together. They haven't consummated the, the marriage, but they are, in all intents and purposes, married, okay? Again and again, in this she is favored. God has looked upon her and says, you are favored. I see faithfulness in you. 
I see commitment in you. I want to do something in you and through you. Through you, I want to deliver the world through this pandemic of evil that it's facing. Here's the hitch. She says in verse 34, um, I'm a virgin. That's a legitimate question. If God says that you're going to give birth to deliver and you've never been with a man, that's a legitimate question. So how is this going to happen? Because I want to be God's servant and everything, but I've never been with a guy. So Gabriel goes on to explain. Luke 1 verse 35. The angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her whom has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Notice just in Gabriel's exchange these scenes of hope. God is going to do this. God's goodness can be expected in the future. He's going to bring this about, Mary. Mary, if you need something to bank on, something to look back on, your old relatives, Elizabeth, she's pregnant. She'd be like 80, 90 years old. She's been barren her whole life. She's never had kids. Everyone's always known that Elizabeth has wanted to have a kid. Guess what? God has given her a child. She's six months pregnant, three months due. God's faithfulness in the past. We've got those two scenes. What's that middle scene? What's that middle part? Remember, it kind of chains those two scenes together. We've got God's faithfulness in the past, God's goodness in the future. What's, what's supposed to happen in the middle? Do you remember? Present obedience. Humble obedience. What does Mary say? Behold, I am God's servant. Here's this hitch again. She's a virgin. What God is asking her to do is tantamount to relational suicide. For her all of a sudden to walk around pregnant through town, three, four months from now when she starts to show, Joseph, a devout man of the law, is what we're told in the book of Matthew, could have her stoned because of her indiscretion. She is going to bring on shame for her family that she would do something so indecent. So this is why it's a little crazy when she says, behold, I am God's servant. Okay, I don't know that this is really a meek and mild young 14-year-old girl. This is, this is a young woman who knows who God is, who is captivated by God's story of faithfulness, who's committed to seeing God's people set free. And now she has been led into the story and she's been told that she's gonna be a part of the deliverance. You hear she, she says, behold. That's not like, behold, behold. I am God's servant. No, man. She's, she's, yes. I am going to be God's servant. He can use me. We're going to set people free. Whatever God wants to do, we're doing it. 
That's hope. Hope is here. Hope is now. Captivated by God's faithfulness in the past, looking to God's goodness in the future, she will be obedient in God's present. So, with that in mind, someone makes a strategic decision. Maybe she went home. Hey, angel told me that I'm going to be pregnant. And someone says, you know what? We need to send you out of town. Hey, can I go see Elizabeth? God said that Elizabeth is pregnant. Yeah, sure, Elizabeth's pregnant, whatever. But off she goes. Listen in this story. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 39. In those days... So shortly after what Gabriel said, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. All right, so let's get some perspective, okay? Come back, let's get some perspective. We have a young, pregnant teenager. Cultural outcast. She loves God. She's living in her own version of hell. Her country is under occupation. She has corrupt leaders. She has angry parents. Okay? Where does she go? Who is she surrounding herself with? She's surrounding herself with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Okay? Who are these two people? We're cued in a little bit and earlier in the chapter. Let me, let me let read how the Bible describes these two. Okay? In Luke chapter 1, verses 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Okay? So this older couple <clears throat> isn't just an older couple. He's a priest. Okay, he's of the division. He goes and he serves at the temple on an annual basis. He is a pillar in his community. He's a pastor in his community. He's a leader in his community. Okay? He married a pastor's kid. She's from the line of Aaron. Her dad was also a priest. These are people who have saturated their lives with the story of God and have committed themselves to sharing that story with God's people. They are blameless. They are righteous. Mary is surrounding herself with these type of people in the middle of her hell. Her parents, who knows what they've said? Who knows what her school friends have said? Who knows what the town has said? Nazareth is not as, I mean, word gets out. Oh, did you hear about Mary? Yeah, God knocked her up, sure. Right? Who does Mary surround herself with? Who are you surrounding yourself with? In the middle of your version of your hell, who are you surrounding yourself with? Is it people that foster hope in you? 
I mean, you sit down at Zach's and Liz's table to have dinner. You know what you're going to hear about? You're going to hear about the stories of God. You're going to hear about the promises of God. You're going to hear scripture. He's going to spout off psalm after psalm after psalm. She's going to be telling you story after story after story of God's goodness. Mary's mind is going to become saturated with God's faithfulness. Because this is the type of people that Zechariah and Liz are. Okay? Further, Elizabeth anchors Mary in God's story. She almost holds Mary accountable to being faithful. If you listen to what she says, this is, this is uh, verse 45. Blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what's spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth says to Mary, oh, God is gonna do some good things through you. You keep believing. You keep being faithful. You're doing it. You keep doing it. I don't care what mom and dad said. I don't care what your schoolmate said. I don't care what your boss said. I don't care what they said. You keep being faithful. Elizabeth anchors Mary in the story of God's hope and deliverance. Surround yourself with these people. You surround yourself with people that call you to cling to God's goodness. If you're struggling with hope, maybe you need to ask yourself the type of people that you're surrounding yourself with. Because hope is infectious. Hope is contagious. When you're around hope-filled people, you, you notice that kind of getting into you, don't you? In the same way, hopelessness is also contagious. Right? You guys know Debbie Downers? Do you have Debbie Downers in your life, in your circle, that when they walk into the room, there's just, it's this odd metaphysical vacuumous effect that they have. All the life and light just, it's gone. You're like, ugh, ugh. But when a hope-filled person walks in, oh man, you can catch that, can't you? So remember, 30,000 feet, we have a young pregnant teenager, ostracized by her parents, mocked by her town, who knows what her husband's going to do. Look how she responds. This is called Mary's song. This is called her Magnificat in the Latin. Luke chapter one, this is where we're gonna spend a lot of time over the next four weeks. Luke one, verses 46 through 55. I don't know if you could pull this off in the middle of your hell. This is what she was able to pull off. Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. We're going to come back to this section again and again and again throughout our Advent series. Can you see how? Can you see how her song is saturated with hope stuff? It's got hope stuff all over it. What God has done. God has been faithful. God has delivered. God has done all of these things. All generations will call me blessed. She's looking forward. Unless you're Protestant, then we don't call her blessed because for some unreason we have issues with that. The Bible calls her blessed though, doesn't it? She says, all generations will call me blessed because of what God is going to do through me, his goodness. For he has done great things for me. Verse 50, look at verse 50. I love this word, okay? And his mercy, okay? His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, okay? That word mercy, I'd circle it, I'd highlight it because it doesn't mean what you think it means, It means a fatherly devotion. It's the kind of compassion and love that a child experiences when they're in the midst of pain and dad walks in the room and he just swallows them up in his big arms. His devotion to, they will talk about it for generation to generation after generation. Then Mary goes on to project, looking to the past and linking it to what's going on. Mary says, you know what? God has delivered us in the past. God has done good things in the past. And she's thinking about Rome and she's thinking about Herod and she's thinking about all the corruption that goes on with the tax collectors in her hometown. She's thinking about how hopeless people are and she connects those two. She connects the past with the future. God will do great things. My soul magnifies the Lord. How does she see herself? How does Mary see herself? Does she see herself defeated? Does she see herself outcast and forsaken and forgotten? Does she see her as God's redheaded stepchild hanging behind some pillar somewhere that God doesn't want to use only unless he has to? How does Mary see herself? She says it twice. I am God's servant. Behold, I am God's servant. If I see myself as God's servant, I'm going to respond in certain ways in the midst of adversity and trial. If I see myself as God's servant, I will respond in a certain way in the midst of adversity and trial. I'll respond like Mary, with confidence and hope. Now, if I see myself as entitled, uninformed, ignorant of God's goodness, then people can expect me to act hopeless, right? No, God's servant does exactly what Mary does. And look at her response. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. I I want you to grab a hold of those two lines this week, and it's going to catapult us into next week, because she is grabbing some words from the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 2, the words of, of another mother named Hannah. Hannah was barren. Hannah did not have any kids. Hannah wanted kids. She faithfully prayed and went to the tabernacle and asked for kids and asked for kids and asked for kids, but she was barren. Okay? 
And God grants her prayer. She becomes pregnant. She has a child. And that child is actually going to grow up and become one of the great leaders of Israel. His name's Samuel. We've, we've, we've studied Samuel together. He was like judge and priest and king and prophet all wrapped up into one. Samuel's the guy who's going to lay hands on David and help catapult David into his ministry. Samuel's the one who has to deal with Saul and all of his issues. But when Hannah celebrates what God is going to do through her, this is what Hannah says. She says, my heart exalts the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation. What does Mary say? My soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice, God, in your salvation. Do you think Mary knew Hannah's story? Do you think maybe Elizabeth and Mary talked about Hannah's story? Oh, Mary, God's going to do through you what God did through Hannah. Do you remember Hannah's story? They rehearse it and they share it together and again. Hannah's story. Maybe on Mary's journey from Nazareth to the hill country to be with Elizabeth, maybe she was recalling and meditating on Hannah's experience. Her spirit had been so infused with what God had done in the past, her commitment to being obedient in the future. Man, it's all about hope. It's all about hope. Mary shows us how intertwined hope and humility really are, doesn't she? How important hope and humility are. It's really hard to be hope-filled if you're not walking in obedience and humility before God. It's just, it's probably impossible. It's probably impossible. Mary shows us how intertwined hope and God's story is. If you don't have hope, it's because you don't know God's story. Mary shows us how intertwined hope and surrounding ourselves with hope-filled people is. If you are struggling with hope, I would ask you, who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you surrounding yourself with? That's where hope comes from. That's where hope comes from. Hope is here because of what God has done and what God will do. There's no hope if it rests on me. It's what God has done. Part of our Advent tradition is lighting a candle each week. Hope is that candle that burns first. In a dark room, it only takes one candle, right? Stay lit. That had been a really awkward moment, wouldn't it? <laughs> But here's the key. A candle gains its light from an outside source. It can't just fabricate light. It must be lit. If you are going to walk in hope and you are invited and encouraged and challenged to be a hope-filled, bright candle this season, let yourself be infused with the promises of God. Let yourself be infused by the hope that comes from hope-filled people. Let yourself be infused by a commitment to walk in obedience. 
I have a son who has to receive regular medical infusions because of a, a medical condition that he has. We take him to Children's Hospital on a regular basis, and they sit him down in this fancy chair. They bring him whatever he wants to eat. It's like luxury as far as he's concerned. He gets to watch whatever movies they want. He, and, they hook, and they infuse his body with medicine to counteract what's going on, to counteract the evil that he has to deal with. You must be infused with God's story and with God's people. This dark world needs it. And again, taking us back to where we started. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Mary was immersed in God's story. Mary surrounded herself with hope-filled people. This world needs it. Our children need it. This world is succumbing to the darkness around it. Who wouldn't? It needs to hear the stories of God lived out in the people that are around them. <clears throat> in the same way that Elizabeth was the example to Mary, and Mary is the example to us, we are the example to those who are around us. And let it be awkward. You go to work tomorrow. Hey, can I tell you what God did this weekend? What? Hey, can I tell you what God has done in my life? What? And shine bright. Parents, our children need it. Our children need it so much. Be that hope-filled candle that infects and infuses them. Let them hear you talk about God's goodness. Sit them down and read the stories of God's promise. You be to your children what Elizabeth was to Mary. Do you notice we don't hear stories about Mary's parents stepping up? Let that not be said of us. This COVID Christmas, let's be committed to sharing God's story with our kids. Let's let hope those three scenes, God's faithfulness, our obedience, and God's goodness in the future. This Christmas Advent season, hope's going to be a struggle for a lot. A lot of things are going to be missing. Maybe for you Thanksgiving, there were a lot of things missing. People might be missing. Hope doesn't need to be missing. Hope is here. Jesus said there are two ways to build your life. A wise man builds his life on God's instructions, like a house on a strong foundation. For more teaching from this ministry, go to whoishouseontherock.com. If you don't have a church, please consider being our guest on a Sunday morning. Again, visit whoishouseontherock.com for more information.